This is the Double Blue Podcast on TSN 1050, the home of Argos football. Welcome to episode 15 of the Double Blue Podcast. Mike Hogan and Jeff Johnson, your cordial radio play-by-play team for the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, Looking ahead to uh, this Saturday, 4 o'clock at BMO, Saskatchewan's in town. We'll look back at the Hamilton game and also... Joining us will be Dylan Wynn, who has uh, been a, a, a breath of fresh air, a very pleasant surprise here in Toronto this year. Six sacks, although he hasn't started every game, and has contributed on specials as well. So Sack looking forward master. to that. Oh, he's six sacks and two, two against Hamilton, including one in overtime. Love his physical presence. He's, oh. uh, he's fun to watch. He, uh, I know he was, how shall we put this? He was not a clean player in high school. <laughs> is, is that fair? So he fits in perfect. Yeah. And we'll also tell a story. He, what would you consider a good winning streak for a high school program? A good winning streak? Yeah, give me a number of games. Oh, I don't know. I mean, uh, probably, well, winning a, a season, you know, yeah. maybe going undefeated would be unreal. Okay. Um, what would be a stupidly long? So, like, 10 games would be an unbelievable winning streak. Fantastic. That what, would be What huge. would be a stupidly long winning streak in high school football, especially in the States? Jeez stupidly long two years in a row okay 20 going undefeated how about winning 151 consecutive games get lost just 150 just it what is are you talking the, about the, the longest winning streak prior to de la Salle high school in northern california in concord california um was in the 70s and this team who and it was just it finished just before dylan got there um 151 in a row <laughs> They, well, made a, they made a movie about the coach uh, that came out a couple of years ago. And, uh, yeah, so it's... Uh, it's that's it's, incredible. Yeah, so we'll get into into why the De La Salle Spartans are as ridiculously, insanely good Juggernaut. Uh, as they've been. And also, Dylan played his college ball at Oregon State, next uh, the same school as Victor Butler. So we'll find nice. out if there was a connection there before they met, uh, re-met here in Toronto. Um, that was a rather large win on Saturday. Huge, dramatic fashion. Like that was not your run-of-the-mill victory. No, not a uh, little, little too dramatic for me. If you ask, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you ask me what I'm thinking, um, yeah, the Argos uh, basically did what they needed to do to kind of stay in the game, right? Mm-hmm. I, I thought Hamilton was, for the most part, the better football team for mm-hmm. most of the game, you know, and the Argos uh, stayed close. They just kind of needed, you know, did what they needed to do to. Sp- Ah, stay within a couple scores. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the return was huge by Martise yeah. Jackson. That was massive. I love the fact he went up the middle. Oh. Because I'm, when you think yeah. about, if you visualize right now Martise Jackson on a punt return or a kickoff return, it's try to bubble around and then use that stupidly awesome speed of his yes. to, to get the corner and run by guys. The fact that he was able to go up the middle yeah. really impressed me because he's not very big. Yeah, well, it's like uh, throwing what is it, the change up or a nice, yes. you know, an unexpected curveball, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, uh, last week after our our last podcast, I went by the, the special teams coordinator uh, office there, and Kevin Iben, and was commenting on his wall returns that he'd been running. Mm-hmm. Right, that's the field return. Basically, Martise catches the ball, turns to the sideline, the open sideline, the wide side, and runs mm-hmm. full speed for mm-hmm. that sideline. Yep. And you got a guy like Dylan Wynn mm-hmm. on that one where he <laughs> took the sideline return and went to the house. Dylan the, get, uh, runs to the corner yeah. and he sends up. 
sets up right on the corner there, and he blocked three guys just by being, you know, area blocking. But yeah. that was a wall return. Yeah. And how many times did we see Martis do that? Yeah. A bunch of times. For mm-hmm. there was probably three weeks or so that we, we consistently they were trying to run the wall return. And it was working. Sometimes and, there were penalties it, involved, but it was working. Right. It was working for the most part. And uh, I mean, we used to do that all the time back in the day with Bashar Levingston, right? To yeah. too much uh, <laughs> struggles. Sometimes and, and, and it worked. <laughs> Sometimes you know, you know what? thirty yards in the wrong direction. Yeah, that and we may have continued to try and do it for too long, and maybe we should have thrown in a middle return, right? But basically, <laughs> Ivan, well done on you know running yeah. running the, the specific look, being consistent with it. The cover teams were ready for those wall return and throwing a, a change up, go up the middle, and you got guys like Darby throwing a uh, a decleat block downfield yeah. that's springing them for the yeah. touchdown, right? So it's good to see that team effort and and also the coaching bring it all together. You're listening to the Double Blue Podcast. I'm Mike Hogan along with Jeff Johnson. This is TSN 1050. Um, I, I, I would recommend Argo fans read an article, not just because I did it, but uh, because of what the coach said afterwards. Uh, this is on Argonauts.ca, and it was a conversation I had in the media availability on Monday with Mark Tressman about the decisions that he made yep. um, with the coin flip. Yes, sir. And then a decision that he made later on when the Argos were on defense. And the coin flip, the the conventional wisdom is if you win the coin flip, you go second on offense. So you can see what the other team has done. Sure. Oh, they got three? Okay, we know we need three. If they score seven, you know all of a sudden you're constantly in three-down territory. So you get to coach a little bit differently. You know, if you're the team with the ball first, what do you do on third and two? Do you, sure. kick, do you kick the field goal or do you go for it on third down and maybe not get any points? Right. You have that decision to make. You don't have that decision to make when you go second. Um, he said with that that they were riding high on offense. They were moving the ball and they just kind of wanted to ride the wave. Mm-hmm. Uh, paraphrasing here. You can read the, the direct quote like in, the, in the column. And, um, you know, he said, we're not we're not trying to be an outlier here. We we, we do go by the book most times. He said, we just mm-hmm. thought in that situation that was the right call. Well, and I I was I was pretty vocal against it, yeah. admittedly, on uh, on the broadcast. I just because I don't understand why you wouldn't want to go second. But the way that he explained it said there are sometimes you kind of have to go against the book. Well, hey, listen, Hoga, I I, I see both sides of it. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I see your argument, and uh, you know, I was kind of like, my gut says I was with you, mm-hmm. but then it's like, wait a minute, they're in the trenches. They feel what's going on. The offense starts to click. Mm-hmm. They've obviously started to figure out something against the Ticat defense. And and something that I was thinking about after I read your article, it's like, wait a minute. Okay, well, who's running the show for the Ticats? Mm-hmm. Masoli. Sure. How experienced is Masoli? So if you get the not t- very. if you get the touchdown, you put more pressure You've on. You've got pressure on a guy that mm-hmm. is not used to that pressure. And that's what Ricky said right? as well. And when I talked to him about it, yeah. he said, you know, we uh he said I wasn't really surprised because some coaches are different in their approach. Um yeah. but he said when we went down and scored, that really put pressure on them. Yeah, tons of pressure. Sure. Right? If that puts the pressure on Masoli, a guy who's not necessarily used to it. Now if they got a Bo Levi Mitchell or a Mike Riley, does he make the same call? Yeah. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know if they make the same call, even regardless of how their offense is doing, right? And and um, you know, it uh, yeah, I, I I there's and that's the exciting thing about football, right? When you really take a step back and say, hang on a second here. Mm-hmm. You know, like right away, fans get upset and they're like, Why did they make that decision? It's like, okay, well, hang on a second here. Let's look at all the different moving parts and all the different little pieces that are you know, factoring into why that decision be made. And then it starts to make some sense possibly. And uh, I mean, I, I really think the Argos made a fantastic decision. It, it obviously worked out yes, for them. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, you know, in hindsight, you got twenty twenty. But I mean, mm-hmm. uh, again, Masoli did literally almost crumble under that pressure, right? So it was uh, interesting to see. The other, thing that I, the other decision I found interesting. So the Ticats get the ball back. So they now have to score and get the two. 
Yes. On first down, they gave the ball to C.J. Gable, and he ran for five yards. Right. On second down, they throw an incomplete pass, but Brandon Banks went offside. Mm -hmm. So now you've got the decision. From the 30-yard line, it's second down and 10 if you push them back, or third down and five. And I actually went back and watched the video because Trustman said that he talked to Corey Chamberlain. Yes. Who's upstairs, and you could see Trustman on the headset, and it's very clear he's looking kind of away, so you can tell he's in conversation with somebody, and you can read his lips, and he goes, push him back. Mm -hmm. And I assume, my assumption is, after the conversation with Coach, it was that was a question mark. Push him back? Mm-hmm. Because he said that it was Corey Chamberlain who gets the credit for that call. And he said, we thought that we were in a position where we were better off with them in second and long. Sure. Because we thought that we could force them to be in third and long. Yeah. So that was the decision. And well, so it was obviously Corey Chamberlain's call saying third and long. And, and, and Trestman concurred very quickly. And away it went. And, and, and I asked Bear about this. And, and he said, hey, we trust our coaching staff. We're in that next play mentality. We don't care if it's second and 10 or third and five. We're just going to go out and make our play. And I want to quickly touch on that. That is massive. The mm -hmm. fact that Wood says that. It doesn't matter what the coach is going to call. They're not, players aren't even thinking about it. They're like, okay, coach, what are we doing? Yeah. Right? What's next? Because if they, you know, the mentality is don't question the coach. Don't question the decision. Let's just roll with what's been called and you're going to win. If, you, if it, everybody's believing in that, they're going to win. But you know what it was like when, when you were here in 2012 and it was Milanovic's first year? There was... There was a real trust in him, and you yeah. could see it build. You know, he he had the reputation of, of of being around the CFL, but playing in the league and and and, and you know being that offensive guru that you mm -hmm. guys seemed to really buy into. Mm -hmm. You liked the practices, mm -hmm. and you could tell that as the season went along, there was respect. I think Mark Cressman had the respect of this group in about thirty two seconds. Yeah, um, sure. Like it was, I I've never heard the word genius thrown around as much as I did in camp when I'd ask player, you know, either on the record or off. Yeah, it's like, what do you think of Cressman? Guy's a genius. Like that was the f love him. There must have been ten guys who who said that and it was the first word out of their mouth. Interesting. Yeah. Which I found really fascinating. That's that's amazing. Um, it's amazing. I, I and the way that the the team on defense loves Corey Chamberlain. Yes. Um, Players coach. They guys go, love him. They go both sides of the ball are going to go through Walt. They love Marcus Brady as well. Yeah. But I mean, with Ch Trestman kind of being the overseer of the offense to a degree, and 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 uh, and with Corey in there, they're loving him. It doesn't matter what the decision is. The team is going to buy into what the coaches are doing because the coaches have built up that respect in both cases in a relatively quick amount of time. Yeah, yeah, no, they have. And, uh, you know, I mean, the fact that Tressman put it in Corey's court mm -hmm. shows you how much value oh, he places in his D coordinator absolutely. to make the decision, right? And and he empowers his coaches to go ahead and make the decisions. That's huge. Yep. That's huge. And, I mean, Corey right away is going to look back and say, okay, the course of the la this game how has how have the tie cats done in first down and mm -hmm. how have they done in second and you know and five or less or, yeah. or or second and long right mm -hmm. and or second and long and then third and short how wh wh where are the numbers where are the numbers sitting and Corey obviously believed that you know what our second and long defense is is very good mm -hmm. and then you factor in the pressure Masoli, the game sure. all those other factors Great call because you know they, they they went with their gut and sometimes you got to factor in the old gut instinct along with what the data is saying and I'm sure that the data had a, mm -hmm. had a big role in this. Don't kid yourself. Sure. And um and it just made sense with the gut too and it, it worked out. Uh, we'll scoot away. We've got uh, Dylan Wynn coming up next and we'll talk to the Argos first year defensive tackle about his time here in Toronto and his uh, time at a football factory in high school. And also we will uh, we'll, we'll focus in on the game coming up against Saskatchewan with one of the biggest 
busts in NFL history now playing for Saskatchewan. Trent Richardson will make his NFL or CFL debut uh, coming up this week. And we'll talk about some of the players that you played with, JJ, mm-hmm. who are also very high-profile NFL players or NCAA players. Some worked, some didn't. We'll explain why they did or why they didn't as we continue with the Double Blue Podcast. Now, more of the Double Blue Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Double Blue Podcast. Mike Hogan with you. Jeff Johnson has left the building for a few moments, and Dylan wins in. How you doing? I'm good. How about you? Good. Belated welcome to Canada. Appreciate it. Are you enjoying it up here? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah? I like the great white north. <laughs> how much <laughs> Not did, so white yet. How much did you know about Canada? Be honest, heading in. Uh, my grandpa's Canadian, actually. Oh, I didn't know and, that. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, but he's, I think he's Edmonton area. Somewhere out west. Maybe that or Hamilton. Uh, to be oh, completely honest, something I don't know. ton. All we know is the Canadian, the Canadian jokes he used to tell us and stuff, which was pretty funny. So we just we got to now find a way to get you as a uh, as a non-import, as a Canadian player. Yeah, some right. There's some guys who have their parents. You know, maybe we can find a loophole here and get you gotta, up here. I got to figure it out. I think he's a U.S. citizen now, but he didn't. We yeah, I got to look into that for sure. It would help me. <laughs> Couldn't hurt. Um, the, anything that you can do to help. Um, so it's Charles Dylan Wynn, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. When's the last time anybody called you Charles? I have my mom when I get in trouble. <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> that's, that's a Charles Dylan Wynn. That's uh, one of those. Typically. So my my father uh, is a Joseph John Wynn Jr. And okay. He goes by John. Uh, my grandpa is the same way. And then I have my first name from my mom's father, mm-hmm. Charles Denny. So, so it's a family thing. Yeah. Do you know any other families that do that? Like, how did that start? Uh, to be honest, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I think he, my dad kind of based it off of his dad and didn't want a junior, so. Gotcha. I mean. Whatever I works. I like it. Whatever it's works. Hey, it's got a good ring. It's a good handle. Um, I'll let you do some bragging here, okay? <laughs> De La Salle Spartans football program. Oh, I'll brag about that for sure. How good is it? Oh, amazing! Yeah, De La Salle made me who I am today, a hundred percent. And it's, it's not, it's not the football aspect that's a big thing. It's growing these, uh, in my case, the very immature teenager into a man that can really handle what he needs to handle in college and in life. And it set me up and really made me who I am today. Was it the football aspect, the discipline needed to play varsity football? Was it uh, the scholastic angle? Was it the religious part? What was it's, it? I, w- I would say it's all three. It's mm-hmm. uh, the combination of the school and an educational facet is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, just the availability of the teachers, the quality of the education you're getting, and being able to have those interactions with teachers that actually care that was huge, huge for me. Mm-hmm. Um, then when you go to, it's an all guys school. Um, right across the street is Crandallet, which my mom actually works at, which is funny. Um, but right across the street, so you have a couple co-ed classes, but for the most part, it, it, it's an all guys school, mm-hmm. and really that makes so you no, closer. So no distractions. <laughs> well, not, I wouldn't even say I wouldn't even say distractions like that. It's just like you know, it's like hanging out with your guys, your boys, and sure. I've become really close to a lot of my classmates which my brother didn't go to dale cell and he has like a close-knit of friends where i know the majority of my classmates from my class and Mm -hmm. um they're some of my best friends and uh so socially that was that part and then the football aspect of it's just the stress that comes into it and the overcoming adversity and stuff really brings people together and i'd have my best friends are from uh, my football team by far my groomsmen in my wedding mm-hmm. my 
best buds that like I'm constantly hitting up and whenever mm-hmm. I go home they're really the guys I hang out with we should mention home is Concord California which is Bay Area right yeah so my parents live in Concord California and mm-hmm. Dale sells in Concord mm-hmm. um, I'm currently living in Benicia California which is about North Bay and just about 45 from Concord. okay uh, I want to mention Spartans because it's an astronomical program 151 consecutive wins mm-hmm. that's insane like the the coach's name is Bob Lattisor. They made a they made a movie about him. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it about him that made this program so successful? It wasn't about him. That's the thing. Um, okay. Coach Lad, Coach Lad is great at putting the leadership roles where they need to be. It mm-hmm. wasn't we as a team never played for our coaches. Um, it was never a motivational speech. It wasn't about that and it wasn't about winning it was about a group of young men coming together and not letting each other down and that's a hundred percent when we got on the field it was like i got to do what i got to do to help him and if he does what he needs to do then that the result is the wins the result is the streak Mm -hmm. but when i played we didn't we didn't care about the win we we got cussed out more for wins like we haven't lost against the northern california team since i've been alive i believe yeah and uh (laughs) yeah it's been a while but for me it's holding each other to such a high standard Mm -hmm. and it's it's not accepting hey well we won so let's celebrate the win it's hey you didn't do this on this play and it's not someone calling you out, it's you calling yourself out. We'd mm-hmm. run liners, one of my favorite memories is hot summers and our conditioning program is ridiculous. It's the worst running I've ever done in my life, for sure. <laughs> and um, we'd run liners and we'd begin our warm up and our liners before coaches even came out because okay. we had liners and we had track and we had tires. And um, during the liners, especially my senior year, which is really all, I mean, when I played there, all I can speak about is my years on there. Um, We would call ourselves out. So if I saw somebody not finishing through, Mm -hmm. I'd be like, hey, man, didn't finish through, we got it again. Or someone would be like, I didn't touch the line, we got it again. And even though it sucked and we knew we had to run it again, it was a certain amount of... All about accountability. Accountability, Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's just knowing that it doesn't matter if someone saw you or not. It's I got to hold myself to this standard because I expect everyone else to hold themselves to that standard. But most, I would think maybe not most, but a, there's probably a good chunk of high schools that do that, but aren't 151 consecutive wins. What was I, it? What was it that made this program aside from that accountability? There had to be something that made it a little bit different. And I, the the, the commonality over all of those years is Coach Latasur. Yeah. Well, I would I would argue yeah, Coach Lad. Is amazing and as a coach scheme wise I mean we ran the veer we've run the same offense since he's been there and we've haven't changed anything really or the defense same playbook and, and guys still can't figure absolutely. it out absolutely and it's it's not people not figuring it out it's the repetition we put into our work and the discipline that we have and mm-hmm. really that accountability and I would like to argue that most high schools do not have that culture okay and yeah you have your top-notch guys or your starters that are buying in, and that's when you get these top schools with highly t- sure. uh, touted recruits and stuff like that. But at De La Salle, it's from the top to the bottom, mm-hmm. and especially when we were there. Some of our hardest workers were our guys that didn't even touch the field on game day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I had Cole Merritt, who one of our backup centers who got really sick his senior year or our year. And um, he was still out every day with us and still helping hmm. the scout team and still working. And I mean, it's like it wasn't we weren't just playing. So, hey, I can get on the field and I can go to college and I can do this. It mm -hmm. was like I want to help my brother. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like at De La Salle that happens especially more consistently than other schools and that's just kind of how it goes did you see the movie it was called uh, when the game stands tall did actually you see it? i did not see the movie you, um, you have, there's a major no. motion picture made about your coach yeah and you haven't seen the movie yet it's, it's, i would argue that's <laughs> not about the coach it's about the school but and so it's based off the book when the game stands tall mm -hmm. and it's a phenomenal book um i have read that and I just, I didn't, I had no want to see the movie. Um, I know my experience of De La Salle and trust me, my grandparents saw it and all that. And they're like, well, it was it really how it blah, blah, blah. And yeah. it's, it's not something that you can describe. And people have tried multiple times, um, mm -hmm. especially in today's age with everything being on social media yeah. and everyone wanting to know everyone's thoughts. Um, but it's, it's really not something that you can you can describe it's you have to live it i'm mike hogan this is dylan Wynn of the toronto argonauts and you're listening to the double blue podcast here on tsn 1050 you know uh, did you play basketball were you two scores two oh score no okay no, i'm just thinking I'm, i played like, i played a lot of sports but i cannot play basketball you you <laughs> set the best pick of all time <laughs> i mean it was that, you know you got it appreciate there. it, it appreciate was it. no i just i want to make sure that gets appreciated because i think um Sometimes guys will look at Martise and go, or whoever has the ball and go, what a great return without looking at the guys in front. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we see a block that that's good, and, and, and Jeff Johnson was, was special teams captain mm -hmm. uh, with the Argos for quite a while. He's kind of in that, he was in yes. the Declan Cross mode. Um, but he, he's always calling out guys. He loves watching, like, uh, uh, you know, Tuggle run down on specials. He always mm -hmm. kind of earmarks him, and then Levi makes a tackle or something. Like, we're always calling out the guys on specials. But that was, uh, that was top shelf. Yeah, we um, have an amazing special teams here, yeah. and just how locked in we're in. And um, all of our starters play special teams. And mm -hmm. it's the way I believe it should be. It's the way it was at uh, the De La Salle when I went there. You had to do a uh, – you actually had to – um, do a form and you had to apply for special teams is pretty funny um you do some you did i don't know if you still do but you were doing some work at uh at oregon state with some kids right like your boys and girls club was, mm -hmm. it, was yes association uh, there? we definitely we we helped out with the boys and girls club a lot and then um i did a couple outreach stuff at the browns um but i i like helping out as much as i can um mm -hmm. definitely need to get more into the community here i've kind of kept my head a little low but um i you give back whenever you can mm -hmm. i mean i'm not i'm here because someone else gave me the opportunity I, you got to pay it forward absolutely uh before we go uh i've heard of some interesting game rituals the night before a game or the day <laughs> of a game um what do you do the night before a game um i'll, I'll play a ukulele at my house you so. play a, a ukulele yeah so um, we had a guy here in toronto named chad owens uh who's still in the league but mvp uh of the league in uh, in 2012 a receiver from honolulu his nickname was the hawaiian uh, flying hawaiian flying hawaiian we yeah. call it, my brother we call him that it's kind of yeah. funny <laughs> um how did you you're not from hawaii mm -mm. so <laughs> how did you pick up the ukulele um my 
I call them my second family. It's uh, I've grown up with them my whole life. Uh, the Simeonas. They're, okay. He's my brother. I call him mom, mom, dad, dad. Okay. It's like they help raise me kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Very, very He's my best friend. Um, he's my brother. And they're Hawaiian, and I grew up in that house too. So, so that's where you learned. Yeah, yeah. They What's your go-to the song? Son. Huh? What's your go-to song? That I, I got a bunch learn? of them. I got a bunch of them. One of my buddies uh, kind of taught me a strumming pattern, a little lullaby thing when um, we're at Oregon State, and I like that one. Um, <laughs> I really play a bunch of them. My ukulele's name's Lucy. Lucy. Yeah, her name's Lucy. Okay. She's, yeah. I got you haven't taken any like. ACDC or metal stuff and taking it and I've done a little country I've okay. thrown in I've thrown in a little country um, work. I mostly listen to country for okay. sure but um, <laughs> like it, it it really comes from growing up um, we we used to at the Simeonas we had um, like Pop Warner games so second grade stuff like yeah. that we'd hot tub like the night before a game or something and then um, we'd always sit around and dad would teach us chords and stuff and so mm-hmm. Luke and I would be picking it up and um, it's it's just something calming get your mind off of it and um, I did it all the time at Oregon State and it's funny because we had a high pop poly population at Oregon State as well okay. and um you just whenever you play there's always someone that knows how to play and you start picking up songs here and there so my roommate my roommate for games at Oregon State was Mono Rosa from Maui and he uh, taught me a couple songs too and I mean you just keep picking them up keep picking them up different strumming patterns it's a lot of fun that's awesome hey whatever whatever works you and Lucy are having fun and we're yeah. having fun watching you play um, thank you so much for doing this uh, be, again uh, belated welcome to Toronto hope you're here as long as you want to be Appreciate it. Thank okay. you for having me. When we come back, Jeff Johnson and I will break down Saturday's game as we continue with the Double Blue Podcast. I'm Mike Hogan. That was Dylan Wynn. Now, more of the Double Blue Podcast. Welcome back to the Double Blue Podcast. I'm Mike Hogan along with Jeff Johnson. Dylan Wynn just loved to hit guys, still loves to hit guys, and loves special teams, and just likes to go out and hit people. Your kind of player. Oh, love guys like that. Like, he just wants to get out there, right? He just wants to get dirty. Mm-hmm. And, man, is he a wrecking ball yeah. in the trenches. But I, I was saying this to him. Um, how many times over the course, and you haven't been doing the broadcasting as long as I have, but in the course of your camps, how many times does a defensive tackle stand out in exhibition games? That's hard to do. In exhibit, well. To, especially mean, to the naked eye, right? And the fact that we were calling his name in each one of the exhibition sure. games kind of, you know, well, let us know. Very rarely. There might be something here. Anytime do you, def- you, you really call out a defensive tackle. Sure. Like, I mean, the Argos have had a few pass through belly. Like Cleon Lang this year, you know, is, is, but he's special. Like, Noah Cantor was pretty good for a bunch of years. Yeah. You know, like uh, Cleon Lang is special. Armand Armstead, right? your, your year was phenomenal. Army Armstead, unreal. You're you know? so good. But there's only a handful of guys that can literally, that you can say that. For a guy like Wynn to show up the first time he's on the field. Yeah. And we're talking about yeah. it. That's impressive. And he was saying, you know, if you just if you didn't hear, you're just tuning in, um, that uh, his, his mom was kind of on him because she didn't think he was playing like himself in the first couple of games. So <laughs> you're playing like a freshman. Yeah. That's nice. Leave it to mom, they'll set you straight. Now, the riders of Saskatchewan head yes, to sir. BMO Field on Saturday. It's a 4 o'clock game down at BMO. Should be a fun, uh, fun atmosphere because Saskatchewan always travels well. There'll be a bunch of green at BMO on Saturday. But also wearing green this week will be Trent Richardson, third overall pick in the 2012 NFL Draft. 
um, largely considered one of the biggest busts in draft history. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to get his career going again, I guess, after bouncing around to four teams in the NFL. He's going to be in the lineup, uh, so saith the writers, for this game on Saturday afternoon. You played with some really high-profile NFL or NCAA players. Yeah. Uh, Andre Risen comes to mind, one of yes, the best sir. receivers in league history. Yeah. Ricky Williams, um, you know, Heisman Trophy winner, multiple thousand yard NFL seasons. Bernard Williams, offensive lineman, first round draft pick in the NFL. Eric Crouch won the Heisman. Uh, Michael Bishop was the runner up to Ricky Williams for the Heisman Trophy, right. all of whom had spectacular runs. What's the difference between a guy who played in the show or high-profile NCAA football coming to Canada and succeeding or coming to Canada and busting? Oh, Hoagie, it's, uh, it, it can be tough sometimes when uh, it doesn't work out for him. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, regardless of the, the type of character or you know whether he's good character or not character, it's just tough when you see someone kind of their dream fade and then they come up and you know they they still are on that downswing mm-hmm. and they're not able to flip it but you know those guys specifically i think uh they're all different um but i think the guys that did make it work who that, are the who that, are, of that group who are the better who are the better guys to play with and, and had the best success well there? you know what all of those guys were actually solid all of them were solid guys all of mm-hmm. them were good solid teammates um but the but the ones that were able to immerse themselves embrace the cfl mm-hmm. so let's just let's start with michael bishop first okay so michael uh great teammate great guy mm-hmm. uh i think mike just took a while to maybe have the respect level for the cfl that maybe he should have had i don't know he was coming from a, it's hard to understand it because you come from an ncaa environment where you're essentially like a god mm-hmm. right you're coming from a high profile world of, of ncaa where you're held on a pedestal and things are handed to you and then all of a sudden you don't you know maybe your dream well, doesn't come through he went to the new england patriots where he was on the depth chart ahead of tom brady right and tom brady said that michael bishop has the best arm i've ever seen right pretty heady <laughs> like sure right so i mean you're you're there yeah right and then it doesn't work out you know so i i really tried to understand big picture with some of these guys and just understand hey you know where they're coming from mm-hmm. right because they're my teammates and i want to understand them better and um you know and and bish came up had some opportunities and wasn't great at the beginning you know he wasn't i mean had the gun, as, as a football player yeah. as the x's and o in the yeah. locker room he was fantastic he was mm-hmm. always a good guy but as an x's and o wasn't great at the beginning and i kind of wondered was like why you know and it's like all right well maybe he just it, it looked like didn't kind of dive into the offensive systems or always thought you know this was kind of just a quick stop and i'll be heading back to the nfl and um he did start to get it but it was later on in his career and he really started to have some great runs then mm-hmm. but i think it was uh it's too bad that it, you know maybe that yeah. didn't happen a little earlier because you know he could have had an amazing amazing career he did have a good career in the cfl mm-hmm. but it could have been really good eric crouch was a guy that the nfl tried to convert to a slot back and he hated it eric didn't like that at all and he came up here and just wanted to play quarterback again and had an opportunity he didn't get in very much like no. Spurgeon was your quarterback when he was up here right yeah and yeah. and 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 Eric never got the opportunity um to play except for a couple of games but what was the difference like from a talent level what was he missing well because he was an option guy at uh, when he was that's playing right and I think that's your that's what that's the the difference there. yeah I think uh the system fast. that he grew up in was was different from what the CFL game was mm-hmm uh cfl needs a, a pocket guy yeah. someone that can throw the ball they don't have to be exclusively pocket yeah. but that's got to kind of be your main thing and you know you've got to be able to read the game i eric don't know was fast. i don't know if eric yeah. you know maybe didn't 
it's hard to say because I didn't know him. I wasn't sitting in the QB meetings. Sure. But maybe he didn't, you know, uh, kind of maybe understand the game on that kind of elite QB level where you're coming up, reading the free safety, reading the will back or going mm-hmm. to halfback and get, you know, working through all your progressions. At the same time, he wasn't given a ton of opportunity to just, hey, this is your team to run with it, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's hard to say why in the locker room. Top dollar character, top dollar guy was was fantastic, and I think he uh, he probably moved on when you know he wanted to rather than you know okay you're done sort of thing. Bernard Williams, um, Bernard is a guy that uh, came up to the CFL and uh, wrapped his arms around it. Mm-hmm. Literally, his arms were long enough to go coast to coast. <laughs> He was uh, absolutely loved Bernard, and uh, guys in the locker room loved him. He was a heck of a character. Uh, you know, he and he was a first round Eagles draft pick. First round Eagles yeah. draft pick. I think he played a few years yeah. in the NFL and yeah. um, and got it done. You know, he when you looked at him, you thought, "Wow, this guy." Uh, he he wasn't physically imposing. He was very tall. Yeah. But he, like you know, really like, tall. It's not like he was popping with muscles. Yet he found a way to to win. You know, mm-hmm. and he he did his job, and he did it very uh, aggressively. And uh, he was somebody that had a, had a decent run, I think, in the CFL, and and enjoyed every second of it. And I think part of that, and the reason why it worked, is that he embraced it and he learned the game, and he didn't make a lot of mistakes up front. So um, he's someone I think that that uh, did well with that. And and then moving on to another guy, you know, Ricky Williams, yeah. you Bernard Ricky, you know, Bernard Ricky, and. Um, I think Ricky is is a great example of uh, somebody, obviously, that, you know, there was a situation that where he was suspended from the NFL, mm. came up, opportunity to come up to the CFL. But he was he was such a focused individual, and he knew what he wanted, right? He knew that he, uh, what he wanted to do, and, and he had maybe thoughts that at some point maybe he was going to continue to play football. Uh, but he immersed himself, and it was something that he did right at the beginning that was different from any other guy that I'd seen, and I thought that was very interesting. Which was? Is that he, uh, in practice, he would do every single rep at tailback. As, as a high-profile? As a high-profile yeah. starting tailback, the American guys never did that. Mm-hmm. They would, you know, if you got a, a situation where there's 15 or 20 skelly inside run, you know, team reps, in each of those, 15 to 20 plays, the head guy, the lead guy would do maximum five. And then I would jump in and do the other 10, mm-hmm. right? And uh, Ricky would do all 15, every single rep. And I said, Rick, you know what? Hey, I'm good to, to give you a spell. You need to get a break, you know? He's like, listen, JJ, I appreciate it, um, but I want to make sure I know what I'm doing when I'm out there. I don't want to make any mistakes. Interesting. I was like, awesome, brother, mm-hmm. you're the man. And he also yeah. wanted to play every special team. And he wanted to play every special team. He was a guy walk over to Mike O'Shea, oh, sh- can you throw me in on kickoff at the beginning of the game? <laughs> Oh, she said, really? He said, yes, I want to go in. and I, what's, Where do you want to run down? R- Ricky said, I want to go at number five. He wanted to be the wedge buster. He wanted to blow That's through the insane. wedge. Right? And, and he's like, I you, just, you should explain number five for those who want. Well, number five is, is essentially one of the bigger guys on the kickoff team, mm-hmm. right near the hash mark. And five from the end. And if you're watching the next uh, Argo game, watch the, the person that is closest to where the ball is being kicked off from on the hash mark. Mm-hmm. And that's usually a larger individual. Sometimes it's a D lineman. Sometimes it's a big linebacker. And in, in certain cases, they have to bust a wedge or run into a, you know, bigger guys in the middle where the return is going at the point just of Justin Tuggle. Justin Tuggle. And, uh, you know, Ricky would just blow right through that, that wedge. And he said, listen, I, I feel better. I feel like I'm ready to go once I do that. So that was the type of character that Ricky Williams was. And then there's one other type of character that um, uh, Dontrell Inman. Right. Inman didn't play in the NFL before, but he was a high-profile college athlete. Mm-hmm. Came up to the CFL. From the first day he walked in the locker room, he was 
he was very focused. Mm -hmm. He immersed himself in the CFL game. He uh, was a good locker room guy, didn't speak unless spoken to, and he wanted to be perfect on the football field. So in the meeting rooms, he was fully engaged, asking questions. As soon as he walked out of the meeting room, he was studying his book. And I remember looking at him thinking, that guy's not going to be in the CFL very long. You're listening to the Double Blue Podcast. I'm Mike Hogan along with Jeff Johnson. This is TSN 1050. And it's interesting, like, when Dontrell came back for the second year, he had definitely put on weight. And, and I went on to, and like, in good weight, like upper yeah. body got pretty big. I said, how much did you gain? And he said, I put on 15. And I said, why do you, like that, usually guys when they come up here, try to lose the weight because they're running around here so much, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Devere Posey this year lost probably 10 pounds because he wanted to play lighter. Sure. Um, Dontrell said, I want to take one more run at the league. Yeah. And I won't be able to do that unless I can, you know, be a little bit stronger. Right. And that was what I worked on first and foremost in the offseason. I want to get a little bit bigger. And he came up here, played his rear end off, and, uh, you know, won a great cup, and then uh, went back and he's making living, some pretty good deal with San Diego or L.A. or whatever yeah. they're called this week. Chargers. He's living his dream, right? Yeah. And so provided Trent has the right mindset mm-hmm. coming up to the CFL, he's got a great opportunity in front of him. If he wants to get back or have another chance at the NFL, then he needs to embrace the game. Mm-hmm. Arms, coast to coast, you know, dive in, learn everything about Saskatchewan and the community. And you know what? He's going to have every opportunity there because they love football in Saskatchewan yep. and they're going to, they'll welcome him. Yep. Right. And hopefully he has the right attitude and uh, he will be successful if it's, he has the right attitude. It, it, it might remind him of college a little bit because when he was at the University of Alabama, obviously it's a state, it's not the, it's the number one. It's not the only big university in the state, but it's the big university in the sure. state. And, you know, it's it's a lot of crimson in that state. And coming up to Saskatchewan, you know, smaller city, like Tuscaloosa is not exactly a, a megatron, a megatropolis, rather, um, in, in Alabama. Like Regina isn't up here. So he may get that kind of vibe, and maybe that's what he needs to get going again. Sure. Well, maybe it is, and, and hopefully he, he does get it going. And, and I mean, in, in two weeks. In two weeks. Well, I mean, <laughs> honestly, you... Learn your couple X's and O's. Figure out the offensive plays. Most importantly, hopefully the protection and shows that the efforts out yeah. there and he, that he he wants to learn it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you know that just feeds into another conversation about uh, Johnny Manziel, if that ever comes, <laughs> because I know there's been lots yeah. of whispers about about it, that possibly coming, you know, him come possibly coming mm-hmm. to the CFL. But again, it really comes down to how much the guys decide that they're going to respect yeah. the CFL game, how much immerse themselves it? in it, and essentially, how bad do you want it? Because yeah. if you do, then you can make it happen. Um, we t- we talk about sort of. A character issue with Richard, so we know there's not one of those with uh, with Marcus Ball. Um, Marcus injured in the game against Hamilton, came back. Um, it, it looks like it, I don't know this for sure. It'll, it'll be a day to day thing or a week to week thing, but uh, he might be out for a while. Okay. Um, how do you replace that? Not only on the field because the Argos have the depth at linebacker. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. So somebody will be next man up, and I'm sure will on the field not be a major drop off from what Marcus provided. But there's that intangible. Marcus mm-hmm. Ball is a leader of that group. Marcus Ball has come back after a few years in the NFL and very quickly sort of reclaimed that mantle as being one of the, if not the, leader on the defensive side of the football. How do you replace that? Well, you don't replace it. Yeah, I think you work with what you what you have, right? Mm-hmm. So I think kind of to your point, um, on the football field, they've got great athletes that can kind of fill that X's and O you know, spot. Are they going to do exactly what Marcus does? No, it'll be different, but mm-hmm. that's okay. I think the right players are around Marcus on the field there that can adjust. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the locker room, Marcus is still going to be in the locker room, mm-hmm. right? But I think 
where you're going to really see the strength of a, of a Corey Chamberlain defense is what he's done with the moving parts around where Marcus Ball is, and that's mm-hmm. where I, th- you know, the intangibles can be or can be offset, like the, the loss of that significant kind of the communication level and the leadership in there. You know, you've got uh, you know Bears in there, uh, Matt Black, you got Jermaine Gabriel, you know Rico Murray, Johnny Sears. You know, you got the guys in there that are around where Marcus was that I think can really pick it up mm-hmm. right and and uh and you know mitigate that that you know kind of hole or, or the, the intangibles that are being lost potentially and i think that's really just the character that's been built around that defense that they're able to offset uh the change there so i i think the defense will still be firing in all cylinders and it'll just create an opportunity for uh for terrence Plummer or anyaka and you know th- there are so many different guys in there Plummer and akeem jordan and khalil bass now yeah, khalil bass, it's, that's right. it's, a, it's amazing over the last three weeks that they've been able to grab a couple of guys with major CFL experience. Uh, Khalil Bass, who played in Winnipeg, was a rookie of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, about 100 and, tackles and, or something yeah, in his first year. Insane. And then off to Ottawa. And, and you know, we've talked about Mitchell White and what, what he provides. And yeah. now you get a guy on the other side. Darby doesn't have CFL experience, but another decently late acquisition who is going to pay dividends. I don't know how, I don't know if AK is going to be ready to go, but he's getting really close. Okay. So, I mean, they've, they've, they're getting all, some of these guys back as, they're losing some other people, but that's that's the nature of the beast. But the good thing is that Jim Pop has, has in a very quick period of time, uh, amassed a depth at basically every position. It's mm-hmm. uh, it, it's amazing what they're able to do. Yeah, it's impressive, and uh, they've got a great scouting department that obviously has their pulse on on what's going on, right? And mm-hmm. that that's you, that's the lifeline of your team. Yep. Right. That's like the, the that's the those are the arteries, right? Mm-hmm. That's bringing that blood. You know, yep. that and or, or the veins bringing the blood to the heart. You know what I mean? Like it's just so important. And um, well done to that to that squad because uh, at this time of year, you can't afford to have a, a, a hole, a significant hole, open up anywhere. Mm-hmm. You've got to have someone that's able to step in, and because uh, otherwise, the teams are all starting to fine tune. And uh, if you do have a hole, someone's going to jump in there and, and fill it, and they're going to they're going to you're going to get hurt for it. Couple of things about Saturday's game. Uh, there is a nut-free suite, correct? Yes, sir. Coming yep. up this week, so nut-free. That's, that's good for those uh, who uh, have the allergies. Uh, it is pink game in support of the people that uh, work in the fight against uh, women's cancers. Love so the pink game. that's fantastic. I believe yeah. it's the alumni cheerleader night as well. So some familiar faces patrolling the sidelines once again, and uh, we'll obviously do something at halftime. So uh, that's fantastic. And the biggest thing with a win, the Argos clinch playoff spot. Go in the front door. Hey, Hoagie, this is a uh, this is a huge game, and they're playing against a pretty good Saskatchewan team. Like this, I very mean, athletic. They are. They have they a very fly. very good defense. Yeah. Right? This defense is excellent. They lead the league in sacks. Mm-hmm. They lead the league in in interceptions, and you know, Gainey, Ed, Ed Gainey. When did he get this the good? Doors off of interceptions. When did he get this, this good? He was not this good in Montreal. He was not this good he's in Hamilton. He's got eight. Yeah. Right. Next guy's got four. Like he's just blowing everybody away. And yeah. so, I mean. And when you have a, de- we know how good a team can be when you've got a good defense. They're yes. in the game, yeah. right? And uh, Kevin Glenn, he's a, he's a veteran quarterback. He's gonna do his thing. He's gonna move the ball a little bit. They'll move the ball on the ground. But the biggest thing they have going for them is they have a good defense. So based on the Argos' offensive, you know, lack of consistency, um, I think we should have a pretty. It's gonna be a good game. Oh, no question about that. And again, it's four o'clock down at BMO on Saturday. We hope to see you there. Um, we need a prediction. You've been pretty good at these. Yeah, it's gonna be a tight match. It's gonna be uh, the score is going to be in the teens Argos win oh okay yeah, very good both sides thank you sir we'll see you on Saturday thank you very that's much that's Jeff Johnson man. and uh, Jacob Dearlove our producer how do we do
He says he speaks. <laughs> He's alive. He said great. Fourteen <laughs> weeks, all we get is a thumbs up. No, he says great. He speaks. Uh, Who knew? Thank you, sir. Uh, thank you for listening. Argos in Saskatchewan, four o'clock at BMO on Saturday. We hope to see you there. This has been the Double Loop Podcast. <laughs>